All right, well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. One of the uh, things that I love about that video is it kind of shows you a snapshot of the average of what it's going to be in five years, kind of what your life's going to look like in five years. Um, And for many of us, we don't pay attention to the decisions we're making now and who that's going to lead us to be in five years. As we get started today, I want to tell you something that um, I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too. Uh, have you ever noticed that you're never really tempted to do something good? Like you're never tempted to do something good. Anytime you're tempted, you're tempted to do something what? Bad, right? Most of the time when you're tempted, you're never tempted like, man, I'm so tempted to stop this argument with my wife and not call her or say that thing or push that, push that button that I know sends her through the roof. You're never tempted to do that. You're tempted to do the opposite. Right? You're never tempted to walk the kids through their feelings and help them understand and process it. You're tempted to lose your cool and, and go above and over the top and, and kind of just show them the behavior that you don't want them to mimic. That's what you're tempted to do. You're, you're, te- you're never really tempted um, to solve a problem. Right? You're, ne- you're not tempted to solve the problem most of the time. Um, you know, especially when it relates to people, you're never tempted to go to that person and have the conversation to solve the problem. You're tempted to, what you think is low-key, say stuff when they're not around. That's what you're tempted to do. You're never really tempted to do these good things. You're not tempted to wait until you're married. You're tempted to do what feels good now instead of waiting till you're married. Temptation is one of those things that we all experience. More on that in just a second. We're in this series, You in Five Years, and as we talked last service, I had you guys do an exercise if you were here last week. And in that exercise, so you can still do this exercise here today if you you weren't able to be here last week or you didn't watch online, you can see, uh, or what we did last week is we took the note card in front of you guys and a pen, and I had everybody close their eyes and envision who they want to be in five years. So as we get started today, I want to do that again. I want, if you have your note card with you, then bring, you know, bring that note card to, to the front of your mind. And, and if you left it at home, it's okay. I want you to take a second right now. Everybody just close your eyes and envision who you want to be in five years. Think about how you want your marriage to look. How do you want your career to look? How do you want your relationship with your children to look? How do you want your friendships to look? How do you want your relationship with your Heavenly Father to look? And as we open our eyes, we can think, and we have that picture now. We kind of have an idea generally, because we talked about the importance of setting goals last week. We talked about the importance of of having a destination, because if you have no target, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But you need to have a target. You need to have a destination. So as we're walking through this series, this idea of who you want to be in five years. Because the decisions, as we learned last week, the decisions that we make now influence who we're going to be in five years. That, in fact, we learned last week that your decisions determine your destination. Not your hopes, not your dreams, not your desires at all. Your decisions. So you can want to be the best wife in the world, but your decisions determine whether you actually achieve that. You can want to be closer to your heavenly father, but your decisions on whether you read your Bible, have your time of prayer, attend prayer nights on Tuesdays, 
like that, those decisions actually determine whether you're going to reach that. Because again, we all want to be better at something. And we have that five-year goal. We have that plan. And we think about it, it's like, yes, I want to do this. I want it to be this way. I want it to be this place with my husband, this place with my wife. So as we learned, our decisions are leading us somewhere. So in this series, we're going to ask the questions. Are my decisions that I'm making now and how I'm handling some of the things I'm dealing with in life right now, are they helping me get to that five-year version of me? Are they going to help me become the five-year version that God wants me to be? Or are they actually just going to kind of, some of you know this, you just kind of spin your wheels. And you look back five years ago and you think, man, I just kind of spun my wheels there for a little bit. I I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the decisions I was making. I made decisions and they seemed like good ideas at the time, but I really didn't think about them. And so last week we talked about that. We talked about how we have to ask the question, based on what I know about God, where I want to be, and what I've experienced, what's the wise thing to do? What are my wise decisions? I need to make wise decisions. And this week, we're talking about a subject that many of us don't like to talk about. And given the topic that we're uh, working through today, um, it's important that we, we kind of think through the idea of a wise decision. Because today's topic is going to do everything but help you make a wise decision. Today's topic, if we don't handle it the right way, is actually going to undermine your goal. It's going to undermine who God has you to be. It's going to undermine the type of husband you want to be. It's going to undermine the type of wife, type of mother, father, your type of career, the career that you want. If we don't handle what we're going to talk about today the right way, And I'm not exaggerating, this is just the nature of it, and when I introduce it, all of you that have been around for a minute, you are going to understand it, and you're going to go, yep, that's exactly what it is. Because here's an unsettling truth that I've learned after 33 years of life. Now, I do not have the runway that some in the building do. I'm not as seasoned as some of us that are here today. But in these short 33 years of life, I can tell you, um, so my time in the Marine Corps, uh, being deployed, leading Marines, having a family, leading people, and being the pastor of two different churches, and like kind of just the, that life space, and, and it's, it's not a huge case study, but I can tell you this is, is fact, is that everybody experiences temptation. Everybody experiences temptation. Nobody escapes from it. Nobody goes through life and just says, yeah, I'm never tempted to do a bad thing. I'm never tempted to make a bad decision. I'm never tempted to do that thing that's going to undermine the husband I want to be. I'm never tempted to do that thing. You know, in fact, we all experience it. And there's nothing you can do to avoid temptation. And the truth is, is how we respond to it when it comes. So when it happens, we have to figure out how we are going to respond Because when we respond to it, that determines whether we reach our desired destination, whether we're going to be who God really has us to be in five years, if we're going to really make that progress and be who we want to be. So given that we cannot avoid it, we need to learn how to interact with it. Lucky for us, Jesus, especially for us Jesus followers in the room, we're lucky because we have a blueprint on how to handle temptation. Jesus actually went through it, and then he kind of gave us some instruction on it, too. So we, we are lucky. If you're not a Jesus follower, um, what we're going to talk about today, it, I don't want to say it doesn't apply to you. I think that it's very wise, and you can learn a lot of things from it. Um, but specifically, if you're a Jesus follower, we've got the blueprint. 
We know how to handle it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. And we're going to take a look at an incident today that many of you are familiar with. In fact, as we start to cover this, all of you that have been in church any amount of time, you're already going to have the answer. We're going to get there and you're going to be like, oh, I remember this from Sunday school. You're going to remember the pictures. You're going to remember all that kind of stuff, right? You, even if you're not part of the church or you've not really been part of faith for very long, you're going to recognize this story because it's, it's popular. It's just one of those popular things that they reference in pop culture all the time. Uh, it's part of our faith. It's part of the story. But it's a key part that I don't think we visit enough as it relates to temptation and as it relates to internal struggles and external struggles today. So if you have your Bibles and you find Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, say word. All right. As soon as Jesus was baptized, the text tells us, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Now, in this moment, this baptism of Jesus, this is almost a transitioning point in his life. Because best we can tell, there wasn't, Jesus wasn't a messianic figure yet. He wasn't even, I mean, he may have been a rabbi. There's some that think that maybe he was starting the process of becoming a rabbi, or people started to notice this guy knows a lot of things. He, he kind of knows what's going on. But his public ministry hadn't started yet. So this really marks, his baptism marks the beginning of his public ministry. And it's a transition in his life. It's almost, this, this baptism is almost like um, God saying, and now you're ready. Now the moment is prepared. Now the world is ready for what I need you to do. Now we can move forward. So this moment is very important. In fact, this is a public calling. Everybody's around. They can see him. This is his experience in front of everybody. And it's important that we start there. It's important that we start there because the very next verse, the very next verse says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So after, after he gets this big moment. Spirit of God falls on Jesus. He's baptized. Of what he's going to do and what his disciples are going to do for thousands of years afterwards starts with him. And he is baptized and the Spirit falls on him and it's a powerful moment for him. And immediately after that, he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I find it interesting that it happened so swiftly afterwards. Because, I mean, he was riding high. He was up here. I mean, he just got the affirmation from his father, and you're off. Go, Jesus. Go start saving people. Right? I mean, that's kind of what this moment symbolizes. It seems to be this is the turning of the page, the starting of a new chapter, the Jesus public ministry. And then it seems as if the father says, hold on, there's one more thing. One more thing that we got to get through before we can move that. We can move on. And so 
let me let me just say this because this is the truth and the nature of it. Um, temptation often comes after your greatest calling. After God has said you're ready, after God looks at you and places that thing in your heart that you're supposed to do next, after the Lord has spoken words over you, that's when the enemy comes. Right after he's spoken words over you and said, here's your destination, here's where I want you to go, here's what I want you to do, here's my vision for you as a husband, here's where I want you to go as in a career, here's the type of mother I want you to be. As soon as you start to get all of that, as soon as that starts to kind of come into picture and align, as soon as you got that calling on your life, that's when you're tempted to do something. That's when you're tempted. So you should, you should, if you're being tempted and you're being tempted to do not great things, you should be happy. And you go, Pastor, <laughs> that's dumb. Not happy. You're in good company. Because if you're not being tempted to do anything bad, you're just not doing anything. If you're not tempted to do anything, if you're not tempted, you're not doing anything. In fact, I would say it this way, if, if the devil's not tempting you often to violate God's will, are you even in his will? He ain't concerned about you. I'm meddling too much. Because right after your greatest calling, right, right after you receive your calling, you can, you can expect after that the temptation is going to come, almost like clockwork. Ladies and gentlemen, the enemy does not have any new tactic. It, it, it's the same thing that he does time and time again. And as soon as you receive your calling from God or as soon as you receive your direction from God, you have two choices. You can try to achieve that goal, that end state, in this example, the you in five years. You can try to achieve that by the way of the Lord, which is by his spirit following what he's asked you to do, or you can do it by the way of the world, which is you're good enough. You're capable. You don't need anybody else's help. You're strong enough. I-N-D-P-E-N-T, right? I think I spelled it right. I think I did. If not, Heather will correct me. So she said, you right. So that's good. She's an English teacher. It's like having a dictionary. But the, the point is, is that you have two options. Right when you get the vision, right when you get the calling, right when you're ready to move, you have two ways you can achieve that. You can do it in your power or you can do it in God's power. You have the choice. One will be significantly harder than the other. One will lack power. One will lack authority. One will lack direction. And one will eventually lead you to a place of self, self-absorption and self-righteousness. And that's not where we want to be. That's not where we want to be if we're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and that sounds good to you, have at it, bro. I'm going to pray for you from over there because it's going to be a train wreck. But notice what happens with Jesus. So right after this, he, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the most obvious verse in the entire Bible, he was hungry. They didn't need to put that in there. That was extra for us. And then it says the tempter. So after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, physically weak, the tempter came to him. 
and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice that the tempter, because this is uh, the Greek word here is another word that is used often in the New Testament to describe the enemy, another, uh, Satan. Another one is the adversary, okay? So he's, if you got to kind of picture consistently in the New Testament, the devil is described as an individual or a spiritual being that goes around and twists the truth. He's a sower of lies. In fact, at one point, he's called the father of lies. And it says that when he speaks, he lies and speaks his native language. So you have to understand that, that when this moment is happening, the devil, Satan, is immediately coming in and he's going to try to lie. Now, if he tried to lie to the Son of God, the one who is connected to the Father in the most intimate way that any of us can understand, do you think he's going to lie to you? He will. It's his number one way of getting you into a cycle where you'll never reach what God has for you. But the tempter said, if you are the Son of God, immediately doubting the calling that God just gave him, immediately calling into question, did God really say? Which, I mean, isn't that somewhere else in the Bible? Haven't we heard that somewhere else? Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? And here Satan is, if you are the Son of God, if that's true, if that's true, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had the power to do that. I mean, come on. He's going to turn water into wine. He's going to walk on water. He's going to heal people. He's going to cast out demons. Turning stones into bread seems like chump change at this point when we know what he's going to do in the future, especially when you factor in the whole raising from the dead thing. Seems pretty simple. And in this moment, Jesus faced with the same decision that we are most of the time. Am I going to make a decision for myself and for the benefit of me and do it the way I want to do it, or am I going to do it the way God has called me to do it? In this moment, the tempter is saying, hey, use your abilities and capabilities for yourself because you're the only one that matters. Don't subject yourself to whatever God's having you go through. Don't do that. Just, just simply, he's given you authority. So you know what? Leverage your authority for you. And only for you, that's the lie that you get told. That's the lie that we struggle with, is use your authority and influence only for you. Because remember, don't forget, a few verses earlier, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. God had something for him in the wilderness. God had something for him in that place. And he could have used the get-out-of-jail-free card. He could have played the Jesus card. You know, I'm hungry. I'm going to tap out and put my Jesus card up. I'm ready to go home, Dad. I'm done with this. He didn't do that. He looks right at the enemy. And he face, comes face to face. Maybe it was for his benefit. Maybe it was for our benefit. We surely don't know. But we do know that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness and led him to a place to be tempted. And that messes with our theology because it's not clean and it's not easy and we don't like it. But for whatever reason, God led his son into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. Maybe for his benefit, maybe for ours. I don't know. I have theories on it. I think it was probably so that we can see, because if you notice what Jesus is about to do, he's not going to lean in his own power. He's going to lean in the power of the Father. I think it's a blueprint that we can use when we begin to face temptation. But that's just my theory. There are times in life 
where God will lead you into the wilderness. And those, this is the part where we all go, hold on, Brandon. That is not what Joel Olstein told me on TV. It's not it. That is not what I heard on TikTok on that cool little video that I was watching this morning when I woke up. I watched it, and it's Sunday, and it knows what I want. And it gave me a sermon clip, and it says, Jeremiah 31, God is for you, not against you. And Brandon, that sure feels like God is against me. I mean, if you're seeing it in the tiny little time capsule that you're viewing it, then yeah, it seems that way. But when you see it in its entirety and you see that maybe it's being used to shape you, all of a sudden it makes a little bit more sense. There's times at which you will be placed into a position where you alone will not be able to overcome what you're going through. There's times when you will not be able to resist temptation on your own. There will be times that that happens, and that's okay. You're human. You're not meant to do it alone. That's why God sent Jesus here, is so you had a connection to him, so that when you are going through those things, you can lean on your heavenly father instead of handling it the way of the world, saying, I've got it. You've seen those I've got it people? It's really bad when they're Christians. Because they say one thing and then behind them is just a mess. And you're like, hey, step to the side, you'll see the mess. And they're like, nope, everything's fine here, handling it all myself. You're like, "Mm, I don't think so. And we have a word for those people too, don't we? Starts with an H, ends with a crit, right? I'll give you a hint. So here is Jesus in the wilderness hungry, fasting, preparing for this moment. And the enemy shows up and asks him to leverage his power for the benefit of himself. You know what? Just, hey, use the get out of jail free card. Alleviate yourself from this. Come on, you can do it, Jesus. You're Jesus. Come on, it's so easy. And so Jesus responded. He said, it is written, referring to the Torah, referring to the law. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, turning the stones into bread would just easily be Jesus playing the game of the world. It would be falling into the enemy's trap. It would be, I'm big enough, I'm capable, I can do, right, Jesus? And we all know he could do that. That's not what God wanted for him, or else he wouldn't have led him into the wilderness. So we see this moment where Jesus rebukes the enemy with Scripture, You should pay attention to that. I find it so interesting that Christians are real big, especially nowadays, are real big on fighting against the devil and the spiritual. They're real big on, I'm going to fight the devil, I'm going to pray. Well, do you you read the Bible? Well, occasionally. You understand when you don't read your Bible and you want to go into a fight with the enemy, it's like going into a fight with an empty gun. You're not going to make a whole lot of headway. The author of the Scriptures referenced the Scriptures. He went back to it and he said, no, 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 no. It is written. It's been said. That's it. Man shall not live by bread alone. And so the tempter backs off and says, okay, I'm not going to get him on that one. 
How else am I going to get him? I know what I'll do. He wants to play the scripture game. All two can play the scripture game, Jesus. Come on. And so the devil took him to the holy city. This is Jerusalem. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear that, for the longest time, I always thought that this was like Jesus and the devil balancing on the top of a church steeple. Okay, I don't know. Did anybody else? Maybe it was just me. That's how I feel, like the highest point of the temple. So you immediately go, steeple's the highest point, and there's Jesus right on the top of it. And then there's that little devil floating around. That's how I've seen it. Maybe that's, maybe that's just me. But what we really need to see is this was more than likely, it was the corner of the temple, right at the corner of the Temple Mount, where it was overlooking the Kidron Valley. So from this point, he can see for miles. And he sees Jerusalem, and he sees the other cities, and Jesus sees all these other things. He's exposed to the best that he can see from his current position, the world. He sees all of these things. So you got to think, it's like his breath is being taken away. Like, man, that is amazing. And so Satan says, if you are the Son of God, notice he calls his calling into question again, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, for it is written, hey, 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 you know Bible? Me too. Me too, dog. I know Bible. For it is written, Jesus, come on. It's written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Surely, Jesus, it's easy. Come on, just throw yourself down. I mean, you want to play the Bible game, two can play the Bible game. And see, again, this is another moment, leverage your power and authority for the benefit of yourself, not on God's timeline, because you can imagine right below the Kidron Valley was a well-trafficked highway. And if Jesus was to throw himself from the Temple Mount, and angels were indeed to capture him up as he about, is about to hit the ground, there probably would have been a few people that saw that. And if that's the way God wanted it, that's how God would have told Jesus to do it. That's not how God wanted it. And so Jesus, again, is, is, is tempted to accelerate the timeline that God has. You will be tempted to accelerate the timeline that God has for you also. You will be tempted to go against what God has told you to do. You'll be tempted to take shortcuts. You'll be tempted to compromise. And here Jesus is is, uh, is tempted. And then it's also Satan's like, look, Jesus, you do that. Nobody's going to have any questions about your power at all. Come on. You're going to fall down. Angel's going to pick you up. Jesus, everybody's going to know that you're the son of God. No questions, no arguments. That's fine. You just need to do it as if dying and raising from the dead wouldn't do that in and of itself. But he's like, just do it. Come on, leverage your power, your authority, your position for you. Come on. It's so easy. And I hope you take this to heart because the enemy leverages Scripture. He'll leverage Scripture against you too. He'll do the same thing against you. Notice he takes in this moment, he takes the Scripture out of context and blanketly applies it to Jesus. He says, come on, isn't this what it said? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not what he meant when that was written. And so as we remember and we pay attention Let's make sure when we are reading our scriptures, we're not taking them out of the context that they were written in. Because then we're doing the same thing the enemy does, plucking it and saying, hey, 
here we go. This is exactly what it meant. And you've met people like that before, haven't you? You've met people that do that. They take the Bible and they take the Scripture and then they say, the Bible says, and then they read one verse and that's it. And you're like, finish the verse. Sometimes it's not even the same. Like It's like, okay, that's a sentence broken into two sections and you stopped halfway through the sentence. And you're like, finish the sentence. They're like, nope, that's good. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what the enemy did. So I know you guys, you don't want to do that. You don't want to. You're mature Christians. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You want the whole entirety of what God is trying to teach and guide. Again, Jesus was having none of it. So Jesus answered him. It is also written. All right, dog, you want to play the scripture game? I got you. Sword drills, homie. Here we go. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That one's pretty definitive there, Satan. That one don't leave a whole lot of room for wiggle. So Satan goes, okay. Man, he's good with this scripture game. All right, I got to figure out another way to get him. Got to figure out another way to do that. He, he, refused, he refused to abuse his position and his authority for his own popularity. So he refused it. And Satan's going, okay, I got to figure this out. All right, so the scripture tells us again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And again, I'm sitting there thinking like, when I see that, I think it's the highest mountain in the world. All of a sudden, the biggest mountain in the world became like 400,000 feet in the air, and now Jesus can see everything. What it more than likely was, was the highest mountain in that area. And as Jesus sitting up there, he can see all of the cities now. He can see all, he can see the majority of Israel. And as he's looking around and seeing Jerusalem and the Decapolis, the 10 cities, and as he's seeing the plains, and as he's seeing like, oh, I'm going to give the Sermon on the Mount down that place over there. As he's doing all of that, and as, as that's happening the devil says this, all this I will give you as if it was his to give. All of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. This is the coup de grace. This is the one where he's like, if I can get him to compromise this, everything else, is, it's all gone. It's all a mess. He'll never reach his destination if I can just get him to compromise this one thing. If you compromise your worship of me, if you compromise your worship and worship me, the enemy says, I'll give you everything. And that was a lie. But it's a lie every one of us are told to. And that lie is if you can worship something else, place something else in the position of God, that that will give you fulfillment, whatever that is. That if you put your career in the position of God, that will give you fulfillment. And it's a lie. It's not going to give you everything you wanted. Because it's a void of God's power. And so the enemy knows the game. He says, if I can just get Jesus to make this one compromise, we are set. And so Jesus responds this way. He said to him, away from me, Satan uses the term adversary, the opposer, the stirrer. He says, away from me, for it is written, worship your God and serve him only. A very definitive statement yet again. No more open-ended stuff for this guy. And then the devil left him, and the angels 
tempted him. Jesus' response was, was clear. I will not compromise my worship, period. And you're going to be tempted to compromise your worship. And if you think about who you want to be in five years, you think about who God wants you to be in five years, who he's guiding and leading you to become in five years, if you think about that and you're thinking the long-term goal, along the way you are going to have the opportunity and it's going to make a compelling argument. They're going to make a compelling argument to compromise your worship and to worship something else. Three different temptations that Jesus dealt with that all of us deal with. The temptation was to be selfish. The temptation was to abuse power and authority. And then the last one is to compromise your worship. Compromise your worship. All of these are equally dangerous, and they pull us away from our desired direction in life, believe it or not. Because they pull us away from our confidence in God. Notice that was what every one of those temptations was about. Every one of those temptations was about, did God really say, and is God really going to provide for you? And it says that basically I have to become selfish because God's not going to take care of me. That's the first one. God is not going to take care of me. The second thing is that I'm going to use my power and authority because I don't trust God to give me the wisdom to handle it the right way. And then finally, the last thing is, is I'm going to compromise my worship because God is moving too slow. How many of us fall into that trap? God is moving too slow. So since he's not moving fast enough, none of us would say it this way. Of course, none of us would say it this way. None of us would say this in a small group. None of us would say this in church. But uh, ultimately, that last one, to compromise your worship, it's like God's not doing what I want God to do. God's not moving at the pace I want him to move at. Things aren't happening the way that I want to. So I have God in this box, but that's not getting me exactly what I want at this moment. So let me just put him a little bit further down. Not all the way. We're not going to drop him all the way down because we're not going to do that. We wouldn't do that. But maybe I'll put something else up there. Maybe I'll put my career Maybe I'll put my marriage. Maybe I'll put my kids. Maybe I'll put something else in the position that deserves worship. Because that's the temptation that we face, to put something else at the top. So in order to be successful, we need to make a decision before we get there. Before we reach those moments of temptation, notice Jesus was ready to go. He knew what to do. So I've, I've got just a few things we can talk about to move that down the line. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, so to resist temptation, I'm going to make this super practical for us because I like practical. In order to resist temptation, we're going to move the line. We're going to move the line. So this is the line of sin. This is the line that's going to take me out of my eventual place I want to be. So if I know I'm wrong over here and I'm right over here, move away from the line. That's not rocket science. Ain't nobody wrote that down, though. Move the line. If it's that close, do not stand right next to it because all it takes is a wind and you're falling off. So move the line. Take it and say, okay, that is where wrong is. I'm not going to do this. And you move the line a little 
further away from it. Move the line. Think about it like this. As a parent, do you let your kids get as close as they want to that hot oven stove? Like the, the, hot, the hot top on your oven, do you let them get as close as they want, your three-year-old? Or do you look, now if they're 18, you probably do because they need to learn at that point. But if they're three years old, do you, do you let them get as close as they want? Like, oh man, that's right there. No. You tell them, get the chair away from the oven. Get down. Don't be up there. So the same is true for us. We need to move the thing. So that's what budgeting is. Move the line. The apps let you put limits on things. If, you, if, you're gonna, if you're tempted to spend all your money on Amazon, yeah, oh, Lord, <laughs> he ain't talking about Amazon, is he? I didn't sign up for this. What kind of church is this, honey? <laughs> he doesn't talk about Amazon that way. <laughs> no way. We're not coming back. But if you know that's the case, then set the budget, move the line a little bit. Move the line, set the limit. Hey, well, I'm not going to spend more than 50 bucks. I'm not going to spend more than 40 bucks. I'm not. And some of you guys are like, 40 or 50? <laughs> Those are rookie numbers, homie. You got to get them up. Right? But maybe, maybe that's what it is. You just have to simply move the line. Set a little boundaries in place. Create some margin between you and how close you get to the line where you're going to, be, where you're going to fall off. Maybe for you, it's not that. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's, it's um, raising your kids, and you know when you're going to snap. Every parent in here knows the environments at which they have reached the edge, and they are going to snap. Every single one of us know it, okay? I know my limits. My limits are when I'm really stressed out, when I'm really stressed out. When I'm stressed out, if I'm around my children... It's best that I not be, okay? So I move the line. If I know I'm really stressed out, I say, honey, I am really stressed out. Like, it's been one of those days. You know, you give the look and say, it's been one of those days. And she says, why don't you just go downstairs for a little bit? Why don't you just go to the gym? Why don't you, why don't you go to the dojo tonight? Why don't you just do something not near them? Because I know that I'm not going to be the best version of me. I know that I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to have a propensity to immediately become angry and frustrated at things that I shouldn't be because I know that that's in me. And you do too. As a parent, you know where that line is. Simply move the line. Don't get that close. Not moving the line is me walking right next to it saying, all right, I know I'm stressed and frustrated, but here we go, children. Best of luck. Hope you can survive. Right? That's not helpful. So I move the line. And my wife and I talked about that, and that's one of the things we do. She has hers too. She knows. If Leah didn't get enough sleep, I'm solo dadding that day because we move the line. Maybe for some of you, it's what you watch on your phone. Maybe you're watching things you shouldn't be. Maybe you're watching things that devalue your wife or your husband. Maybe you're watching things that you know hurts your marriage and your intimacy with your significant other. And if that's the case, then maybe you need to remove the browser and place media triggers on your phone. Did you know your phone can do that? That after you spend so much time on an app, it cannot let you back on the app? I, I, I do that. 
I do. I go, you know what? If I spend this much time on social media, I'm going to eventually end up in a place I ought not end up. So you know what I'm not going to do? Spend much time on it. I'm going to move the line. I'm not even going to offer it as an opportunity. I'm going to simply shift the line. We're not putting ourselves in that position. The second thing is very simple. I just want you to read about it. Every time, somebody say every. Every time Jesus ran into something from the enemy, he used Scripture. Again, it's like walking into a fight with an, a gun that has no ammunition. We wouldn't do that in combat. That would be insanity. And you're going to enter into a fight with your enemy because he's going to tempt you, and you're going to enter into a fight with him at some point. And if you don't have the ammunition, you're going to be confused at why you're getting beat up so bad. Read about it. Read. <laughs> Let me make it real easy for you. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's there for a reason. A couple weeks ago, I said, read five minutes more than what you currently are. Do that. That way you are equipped for the battle when it happens. This last one makes everybody uncomfortable and we all hate it. And it's talk about it. You're like, I'm not talking about it. I'll do a lot of things. Look, I'll read my Bible and I'll move the line. I ain't talking about it. I don't want to talk to my friends about it. I don't want to talk to my wife about it. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. But the truth is that when the, the author of Hebrews tells us to spur one another towards good deeds and to pray one another, Jesus or James, the brother of Jesus, says to carry one another's burdens. This is why you hear me all the time pushing you that if you're not on a team here in the church, get on a team. Because when you're on a team, that's when you have a group of people around you that can be there for you. So when the temptation comes, you can deal with it. For those of you that want to take it to another level, that's why we're putting together a life groups ministry in the fall, is because we want to have groups of people that are meeting together in a group of people that cares for you and loves you. When that moment hits and you're coming to the edge and you're like, man, I'm close to blowing the butt, man, I'm close to losing it, I'm close to acting this way, I'm close to behaving this way, because remember, the temptation always comes after your greatest calling. And when you're ready for that moment, you, have, you can have a group of people that are praying for you, that are there for you, that are connected to you, and they are for you. This isn't meant to be done alone. And don't get me wrong. I love Rose. I love these. I love because this is fun. I like getting up here telling you about Jesus, one of my favorite parts of my job. Probably my favorite part. I don't know. But I love the idea of being in rows and lines. I do. I love it. But real life change happens in circles. Real life change, when you're wrestling, ain't nobody wrestling through temptation in here right now. I mean, maybe in this moment, but you're all buttoned up. You look great for church, right? You put it together. You look, you look good. You guys fought the whole way here, and then you walk in like, okay, we ain't fighting no more. We're in church, honey. <laughs> y'all buttoned up. We all look nice. But it happens in rows is where those, or circles is where those things get changed. Sometimes God moves powerfully in rows, and we're going to give him an opportunity to do that in a second. But this is why I tell you all the time, get on a team, get in a group, because you need people who are for you, maybe even when you're not for yourself. You need a group of people. So we've walked through this. We've talked about it. We've gone through this whole process. We saw how Jesus has handled temptation. We saw how he has handled temptation. 
And we have marching orders for how we should, right? We're ready. So as we come in for a close, I want to ask you a question. And it's a question that's going to make you uncomfortable, if you'll let it. If you'll let it resonate inside of your heart, this is a question that's going to challenge you. Do I resist temptation or do I surrender to it? As the worship team makes their way back up here, I want to challenge you on something. Do you resist temptation when it comes? Because for so many of us, we make excuses. We give reasons why. And we sit back and we say, um, no, 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 I did that because. Or we say things like, it's not that bad. I mean, come on, Brandon, it's not that bad. It's not that serious is another one we say. And we sit back and we think, um, I don't even want to talk to God about it. Because for some of us, that temptation is dealing with shame before we ever recognize it's an actual problem. Every single one of us is tempted daily, all the time. Again, I said the Son of God was tempted. You, what makes you think that you are going to be any different? You're going to experience it the same. So do I resist temptation or do I surrender to it? And now we're not going to close in our traditional fashion. I want to do something a little bit more. Because again, every one of us has a temptation. Every one of us, as I've been speaking, you know what it is. For some of you, it is what you watch on your phone. For some of you, it's the way that you treat your kids. For some of you, it's the way that you compromise your worship of other things. For some of us, it's the way we handle our emotions. For some of us, it's the way that we treat our husbands or our wives. We have a temptation. We have something there. For some of us, it's how we spend our time. We have something there that is the greatest temptation for us. And you know what it is. And if you don't know, ask your husband or ask your wife and they'll tell you what it is. But you have a temptation. And you're not meant to fight that alone. You heard me say it about groups, but your heavenly father is in the fight with you. And for so many of us, we think that we have to deal with these things alone. The truth is you're not supposed to deal with it alone at all. So we're going to have an opportunity here. We're going to have a time of prayer. And every one of you that are, are comfortable with prayer, you are melting in your seat right now. And you're welcome. The truth is, is that we're going to have a time of prayer, a short time of prayer here. Just a couple minutes, not very long, just a couple minutes. To where I want you to pray, and I want it to start like this. Lord, I need help with, and then you fill in the blank. I'm not going to guide you. The band is just going to play instrumentals up here in the background as you pray, but sit for a few minutes, just a few minutes, not very long. Maybe this is the only time you're going to sit and have this moment with God all week and let him work on you. 
and how you're going to handle temptations in the future. Hand it over to him. You do not need to do it alone in your own strength. So let's pray.